Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Megillah, daf Hey, page five. We have a new Mishnah. Ezohi Ir What is considered a large city? Right? The first Mishnah talked about the different um, demographics, I guess, the different kinds of domicile, well, town, city, village, etc. So now we're going to define what is considered a large city. Kol Shiyeshba Every so this is going to be an interesting definition because it's not as one might expect literally you know a population count. It's every city that has within it ten, and the word here is batlanin from the word batel, which could be, I mean, you could easily translate it to be ten bums, right? It's ten people who are being idle, like they're not working. What does it mean that they're not working? It means fundamentally, and we're going to see this develop that they are let's say they're learning and the city is supporting them. And that's how you know that you have enough people or enough wealth, whatever, for that to be considered a big city. And here we go. If you have any fewer than 10, that's just considered a village. Meaning no matter how many people you have living there, it's it's for these purposes, for this kind of halachic definition, it's considered a village. So with regard to these, meaning... When we're talking about the the Megillah, and we're talking about who reads when, you say we don't postpone, um, that we advance, that we, we, we advance, meaning we make sure that the reading of the Megillah is done before the 14th of Adar on certain circumstances, certain, certain, excuse me, tongue, tongue twister, in certain circumstances, and we don't postpone it after the regular time either. So when it comes to the question of time, meaning at what point, uh, in, in how careful are we when it comes to the timing of um, when the, we have to take a step back, the, the Kohanim, the families of the priests would donate wood for the fire on the Mizbech and the Beit HaMikdash. And then those would be the people who would then um, you know, they would handle the wood go for the festivals, right? It's for all the carbonot. And likewise, and this is an interesting one, the claim is that this would also be for the Tishaba for the fast of Tishaba Av. And likewise, the Chagiga, right? The Chagiga is the Korban Shlamim that would be brought on the holidays. Um, and likewise the mitzvah of Hakel, which is a time of gathering all of the people, actually after a year of Shemitah. So we'll probably talk about this further when we come to it. That you know, in a year, it wouldn't surprise me if we have a, a reason to talk about it further. Then, so in all of those cases, meaning when all of the Jewish people have come to the Beit Mikdash and they're there on Sukkot, and it's there, you know, for the time after after the year of Shemitah, and then the mitzvah of Hakel is really that the king would read from the the appropriate several verses from the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy. So all of that, meaning all of these things with the wood on the fire and and the Korban Chagiga and so on, all of these things would be postponed until after Shabbat, and they would not be um, um, performed or, or fulfilled prior to Shabbat, right? You defer it, but you don't bring it forward. You don't do it earlier. And then the Mishnah continues, even though they said specifically you could... You could um, bring the time earlier for the Megillah, but don't defer it, don't delay it. 
but the fact is you can um what is it you can do you don't postpone the reading but you're allowed to give asphatim eulogies or to fast or to give matanot love yonim the gifts to the poor are going to be distributed on that same day right that's one of the mitzvot of, of the day of Purim. So usually we would say you don't have a fat, you can't have a fast day or a eulogy time on these happy days. And on your Dalit Adar, you wouldn't, right? But in the time of the moving of them, once you're moving the Megillah, then the question comes like, well, does it have that same status of not doing these sad things? And according to this point of the Mishnah, and we don't Paskin like the Mishnah necessarily, but just for the, for the beginning of this discussion, uh, it says that you they would have been permitted to have a eulogy or a fast day. And indeed, of course, to give Matanot Levyonin the gifts to the poor. I'm Rabbi Huda, Eimatai. So Rabbi Huda says, when are we talking about it? Right When the Megillah is read on Yom HaKnisa, on the market day, and it's going to be before the 14th of Adar, meaning, Makom Shenechnasin B'Sheini U'V'Chamishi, Av Makom Shenechnasin Lo B'Sheini V'Lo B'Chamishin, but if you are living somewhere where they do not read, where they, I'm sorry, where they do not have a market day on a Monday and a Thursday, then you read the Megillah on the proper time, which is the 14th of Adar, meaning even if you're a village, even if you're from a population that ostensibly would have, you know, shifted the time of reading, um, if you don't have a market day for there to be, you know, an opportunity for people to gather and an opportunity for a, an expert to be reading, then you don't bring it earlier. You would read it on the 14th. Fine. The mission is reasonably straightforward. Of course, the Gemara is going to delve in a bit more. And specifically, the Gemara begins with this question of the Asara Batlanin. Tana, Asara Batlanin, Beta Knesset. So initially, we understand there's a, from a Breita here that these 10 Batlanin are supposed to be in the Beit Knesset. I mean, they're sitting in the shul, right? And whatever they're doing, it's all about being um, officiaries or dignitaries or something, communal religious figures, right? And then the fact that they can sit there and kind of, as I say, do nothing. Now, do nothing, presumably, is that they are attending to the religious needs of the community, but they're not working in the professions. So that is exactly what this is, a city... You have a prominent city, meaning Jewishly, when you have Asara Batlanin. And then the Mishnah goes on, I'm sorry, the Gemara goes on to talk about the Mishnah. When we're talking about these days for reading the Megillah, my Tama, why would the, why did Chazal say that you can read it earlier, but that you can't defer it? Because in the Megillah itself, and this goes back to something that we spoke about the other day, Yerdana, that the text of the Megillah gives us the rules of how to handle the mitzvah of reading the Megillah. It says, Lo Yavur, that you, they would never go after the days of Yud, Yudalit and Tadvav, the 14th and the 15th of the month of Adar, because explicitly the, the Megillah says, you know, um, and you will not pass, you will not read after those dates. Um, and then, of course, once we're talking about um, Rabbi Abba and Shmuel, Rabbi Abba and the name in the name of Shmuel, we have another statement in the same name. Ba'ama Rabbi Abba, excuse me, Amr Shmuel. Minayin she'ein monin yamim l'shanim. How do we know that we don't count out the days to make up the years? Meaning we count out the years by months, but not by days. 
Now, this is a little bit different also than, let's say, the secular calendar. We all grew up knowing 365 days is a year. And here, the number of days is a little, you know, murkier. And the question is, you have 12 months or maybe 13 months in a leap year, but we don't worry about the count of days. How do we know that? The only reason we're talking about this year is because it's all in the same name of Rabbi Abba Barma Shmuel. It's not really connected to what we've been talking about in terms of Purim. And here we have a verse to prove this. For the months of the year. That's a verse in the book of Shmuel. Meaning that's pretty um, explicit as a means of saying we have months that make up a year and we don't worry about, there's no mention of days. So therefore we don't worry about the days. And we don't worry about counting days. It doesn't say you don't worry. It says doesn't, we don't count the days to be the year. Um, and then lastly, another statement also in the name of Rabbi Abba, Rabbanan de Kesari, the sieges in Caesarea and Caesarea would say in the name of, they said in the name of Rabbi Abba, and how do we know that we do not add up the hours to equal a month? We talk about the days that equal a month, but not the hours that equal a month. Now, offhand, I feel like this is not really a question because who's counting the hours for a month? Meaning that seems like, you want to talk about the days of the year, fine, I hear the question, but the hours for a month seems like a little bit too small of a unit to be kind of focusing on it in terms of a month, but okay. Here we've got, a, you know, the question is, again, it's going to be a verse to give us to give us the proof for this. Ad chodesh yamim until a month of days, and so therefore we know that we count the month by its days. And therefore, because it explicitly says days, you can infer from that, you know, specifically days and not other units of time like hours. So I thought this was all very interesting because I think it's really thinking about sort of you know, how do we define time? What units do we use to define time? And what's too small and what's too big? There's something, again, I didn't have as much time to think about it as I wanted because, you know, daf. But <laughs> there is something, I don't know, it's an interesting discussion about time. Like, how do we count time is essentially what this passage is talking about. Um, right. I feel like I kind of would like to go back to that original conversation where Rabbi Abba and Rashmul must have been like sitting and having a discussion about time as opposed to here where we get the snippets because it's in his name as opposed to there must have been like a more full-blown discussion over something exactly. that would feel bigger and, you know, more not to say that this isn't significant, but significant in a different kind of way. Right. And maybe it we'll feels like to it's it. trying to it's like the whole picture is out there. It feels like it's trying to say something a little bit more deeper, significant than what we see on the page. I, I, exactly. I think that's exactly what it is. Um, I'm going to hop down to the bottom of Ahmed Aleph, which begins a rather lengthy discussing discussion. And I think one of the things that's interesting about this staff, which with its, uh, you know, um, discussion about um, the cities and things like that is um there, you know, and so we learn a lot about, you know, uh, I think a little bit about just the cities and the relationship to the cities and the names and how they viewed some of these cities, particularly, I think, the the, the beautiful description about uh, Tiberia. Um, but there's some great information here about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Um, I, I don't know that I'm going to read all of this, but I'm a Rabbi Elazar, I'm a Rabbi Hanina. So Rabbi Elazar says the name Rabbi Hanina, Rabbi Nata Nitiya Bapurim. 
Robbie seemed to have this, you know, it's not clear if it was like a custom, like something he did every year, but it seems to be, right? He always planted a sapling on Purim. And the point here is that he wasn't concerned about it being work, right? He wasn't concerned about it being uh, malacha. He bathed at the time when the wagons were traveling through Tzipori on a market day, right? Meaning even though the public would see him bathing, he still did it on a pub, on a fast day. And he wanted to get rid of Tisha but the Chachamim uh, didn't uh, agree with him. So the Gemara explains a little bit what exactly did it mean that he wanted to get rid of Tisha but the thing I wanted to focus on is this idea about the planting. Right? And so the question is, they said, how could he actually plant something on Yotel? Batani Rabiosef, so didn't Rabiosef Tiv, Simcha Mishtav right? The Pasuk in Esther, in uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 19 of Megillat, Esther says, right, that it was a day of, you know, that they made the day of the 14th, a day of gladness and feasting and a good day. Simcha milamechas rim behespet. So simcha means there's no hespetim, there's no eulogizing. Mishta milamechas serbitani. Mishta tells us we can't fast. The yom tov milamechas serbasiyat malacha. And the fact that it calls it a yom tov means we can't do malacha. El rabbi, el rabbi, bar arbeas sarhabe v'chinata v'chamesh sarnate. So the answer they give is okay. Rabbi Huda Nasi lived in a place that must have observed Purim on the 14th. So he plants it on the 15th. That's what the point of that story was. So then the Gemara says, Eni, how is that possible? Bahav Rabbi Tiveria Have. Didn't Rabbi Yehuda Nasi live in Tiveria? Utiveria mukefet chomami emot Yeshua ben Nunave. And we know that Tiveria was considered to be a walled city. So again, this is the type of really lovely biographical information about Rabbi Yehuda Nasi we get on this page. Ela Rabbi Bar Sar Have, Vilchin Sar Have. So it must be he observed Purim on the 15th, so he planted on the 14th. So then the Gemara says, wasn't it obvious to Rabbi Yehuda Nasi that the city of Tiberia was, you know, one of these older, uh, you know, walled cities from the time Yeshua Benum? So then they take a little bit of attention here, but this person, Chizkia, you know, whether or not, because he actually used to read the Megillah on the 14th and the 15th because he actually uh, wasn't sure about that. So this part I'm going to skip a little bit, which was uh, which was interesting. Um, and so then, uh, you know, Rabba goes down to say, right, So Rabba says, this statement, right, which is talking that it's only necessary to prohibit basically those who observe Purim on this day, right, to eulogize, and those who observe Purim on that day, that they can't eulogize on that day. In other words, there's two days basically mentioned in Megillat Echa, right? Um, it, you needed to mention them both in Megillat Tanit or and all those things in order to make it clear to everybody that on both of those days you weren't allowed to eulogize, right? So the question is, shouldn't the same law apply about not doing malacha, right? So again, we're getting back to how could Rabbi Yudinasi plant this sapling on the 14th? The Gemara answers that it that only it's only an issue of eulogies and fasting, but labor was prohibited for one day. In other words, the issue of fasting and eulogies 
always applied for both the 14th and the 15th. But whatever day you were not observing Purim, you were allowed to do Malacha that day. So then the Gemara asks Eni, right? Is that really true? Right? So they say, didn't Rav one see a man planting flax on Purim and he cursed him and then the flax never grew? So the Gemara says, yeah, because he actually did it on the day that he was actually observing Purim. So that's why Rav cursed him. So again, this still isn't a proof. So maybe you can't fast or eulogize on the 14th and the 15th. It makes no difference whether it's the day that you're actually keeping Purim. But the Malacha is only for the day where you're actually observing Purim. And then we go to Rabbah Bore to Rabbah. So Rabbah, the son of uh, Rabbah, says, right, Afilu Tema Biyome, Hespe Vitani Kabilu Aluhu, Malacha Lo Kabilu Luhu. So then they say, even if you want to say that Rabbi Huda Nasi actually planted that sapling on the day of his actual Purim, right, the day when the Megillah was actually read, that's because everyone accepted upon themselves the eulogizing and the fasting, but they didn't accept upon themselves the prohibition of performing labor. And I think this speaks to, this opinion of Rabbah speaks to what we talked about yesterday, Anne, that sort of perm is a little bit funny, that like, yes, pieces of it are based on text, right? Like they had a whole nice little drusha here about, it mentions the word Yom Tov, so you can't do Malacha, but yet it's rabbinic in origin, and so there's going to be a piece that's sort of like the halachot around it or how it's observed actually evolves. And so Rav is basically using this as a reason. And he's saying, yeah, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi and where he lived and the Jewish people actually didn't accept that you didn't have to do malacha. Yes, there's an allusion to it in the text, but that's not what they held by. And the truth is, that's actually how we, you know, practice t- today. And so how does he prove this? simcha because in verse 19, chapter 9, verse 19 of Megillat, Esther, it says, Simcho Mishtabiyomtev. Ulevasov Ketiv. Further later on in verse 22, it says, Laasot Ota Yume Mishtabisimcha. That's how it describes it. It's only the language of that it became the day of Mishtabisimcha. The Ilun Yomtov Lo Ketiv. And what he pays attention to is that the word Yomtov does not come again. And so what this seems to imply is, is that people actually didn't accept it as a day of a Yomtov. The Ella Rav Mai Tama Latte Lahu Gavra. And so then the question is okay, so then why did Rav curse this person? And so it was because this was a case where there are matters that are permitted, basically, but others were accustomed to prohibit them. So, in other words, yes, he was allowed to actually plant it, but really we abstained from plant, like we tried not to do malacha. And so therefore, that's why, you know, Rav cursed him. So the Gemara is sort of like 180s again and says like, oh, right, we gave a nice proof. We learned it from the text itself. But you know what? It's a custom. You actually shouldn't really do malacha. But what? But in Rabbi Yehuda, where he lived in his place, it wasn't a custom. So what they're trying to say over and over again is for Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, there's a strong custom you could do um, work. But I love here the last reason they give. But if you want, you could say this. Right? Everywhere it's actually a custom. You're not allowed to work on perm. But for him, planting was simcha. And so I'm personally not a gardener. I like have killed succulents in my house. I can't keep them alive. <laughs> my grandmother, um, who is still alive and going well, uh, she's a 
fabulous gardener. Um, I went to visit her this summer. She had like a tomato plant that was like taller than me. Um, she's a fabulous gardener and she loves to do it. And I think any of us who know people who love to garden, I'm just picturing like Rabbi Yehuda Anasi in his garden and gardening and the pleasure he gets from it. I just think it's such a beautiful personal detail about the personality of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. Here you have like the leader of his generation who is often compared to Moshe Rabbeinu. And I'm like trying to picture him like puttering around in his garden, right? 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 The Rabbi Natia shall simchanata. I just love this line. And then it quotes here, right? Kids nan, avru elu belona nu, right? And this is actually from Nesachatanis, right? That we learned in a Mishnah, and this is talking about the public fast, that if it wasn't answered, the public fast that we did, if it keeps not being answered, at a certain point, what do we do? Right? We sort of don't do business. And we don't uh, do construction and we don't do planting. And we don't do, um, uh, you know, engagements, right? The, the, the What the old Eirusin used to be. And we don't do, um, and we don't do marriages, right? And so finally, it says Vitan Ale, right? It was also taught in a brace about this Mishnah, Binyan Binya Shel Simcha. We're talking about construction that's joyful constru- construction. In other words, you get happiness from putting up something new. Nitiya Nitiya Shel Simcha, right? And then it says Ezuki Binyan Shel Simcha Zebona Bay Chatnut Levinyo, right? What's joyful construction? Somebody builds a wedding chamber for his son. Um, right? What is the of Somebody who plants trees, right? Basically for shade that you might find in like a, an av I can't say that word is like a royal garden. Um, and we know that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi was actually quite wealthy. So I, I'm picturing him sort of planting and probably what is actually a very magnificent garden. So. I, I just, I, I really adored this passage. I just thought it was so lovely, this description of Rabbi Huda Nasi. But the second piece is, is, again, I think, you know, we talked about this yesterday. There still seems to be this obvious tension between they were able to hang their hat on. There's a very good proof to say it needs to be treated like a Yom Tov from the text. There's a proof to say that it isn't, but it's clear that some of this, there's something different about Purim. Some of it sort of gets determined by the people themselves. I think that comment about simcha, right? Like, as long as it's bringing you simcha, then the concern that it might have smack of a malacha kind of falls away is really a fair testimony to what the essence of the day of Purim is supposed to be. And I'm sure we'll continue to talk about that. I have good stories about this, you know, for upcoming Dapim. I I think that really, like, the idea that we have a day that is not just... Um, the happiness, let's say, of Yantif, but just any kind of happiness. Planting makes you happy, go do it. Right? Dancing makes you happy, go do it. You know, all of these things are they're designed. I mean, I'm not saying that dancing was in the text. I'm saying that anything that is designed to bring simcha is takes priority, let's say, over even even something that smacks of malacha because there's no real prohibition against malacha. So there's your tension, right? Yeah, I no, I agree with you. I think that that's exactly the tension. Um, and again, if my movie version of this would be, it's like Rabbi Yehuda Nasi in his garden. I feel like I see like opera music playing, <laughs> just like <laughs> like in his garden. I don't know. I think it's it's just it's lovely. So yes, but this theme and this tension 
Um, and I've learned my stuff Megillah before, but I, I'm feeling this particular tension in a way that I did not observe before. So I, again, I'm very curious to see how this continues to play out. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rink us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin E. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.